We'll be in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 31. And uh, I heard it said one time, I, I don't remember the speaker, and I don't remember if they were quoting someone else, but uh, I heard it said one time, if, if you want to make lasting change, uh, there's three levels of belief you need to achieve. And uh, I think there's some merit to it, but uh, the story we're going to look at actually will turn this upside down a little bit as well. And, uh, but, but it's still good. Uh, the first level, I think, is a no-brainer, is, is you have to believe it's true. You know, uh, um, if, if you don't believe it's true, you're not going to act upon it. You're not going to do anything. But the next level is, is a little bit different. You have to believe it's true for you. You know, because sometimes you can think, oh, well, I, I know some people run marathons. Uh, that's, that's a thing in the world today, so I definitely believe that's true. But, but can I run a marathon? Is, is, is that possible for me? And so you, you kind of have to embrace that second level or you're not going to follow through. And then finally, the last level is you have to believe that the price is worth it. You know, if, if I wanted to run a marathon, I'm going to have to start training. I'm going to have to start running. I'm going to have to pay a price in order to run that marathon. And until I embrace that final truth, again, I'm just going to, it's going to be wishful thinking and, and just a, a nice idea. And so uh, as we look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, we're going to be looking at the story of the rich young ruler. So uh, for those who are able, if you'll stand with me as we read the passage. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these have I, I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and, and followed, you, Jesus, followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, 
with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is God's word. You may be seated. When Stephen asked if I wanted to preach in the series and, or do my own thing, uh, and I found out it was the rich young ruler, I said, I'd like to, I'd like to preach in the series. And, and uh, I, I particularly love the rich young ruler uh, story. Um, and I particularly love the Mark version. It's the only version that mentions that Jesus loved him. And uh, when we get to that point, I'll, I'll make a lot more of it. But uh, uh, we start out in, in the first section, verses uh, uh, 17. Um, excuse me. Let me get out my phone. You should always preach from the version you read from. And so uh, from 17 through 22, we have his story. And it's, it's really a tragedy. Um, I... I'd like to think that later on in life he changed his mind, but we don't know. And so uh, here's this young man, and it's, it's funny because if, if you just read the Mark account, you wouldn't know he was young and you wouldn't know he was uh, a ruler. Uh, you go to the Matthew account, and, and Matthew mentions that he's young, and you go to the Luke account, and Luke mentions that he's a ruler. And so, but here, he's, he's just a man. And, uh, and so, uh, what's interesting in this section, it, it, we're going to see a lot of little clues as to where Jesus is going with this. He, of course, knew this man before the foundations of the world, as he knows everyone before the foundations of the world. And uh, he, he's, he's driving home a point, even though this man leaves rejected, he wants more than just this man to hear, to, to see what's going on. And so, uh, some people have speculated on, on who this man might be, this rich young ruler, and uh, it, it really, um, there's some interesting theories, you could, you could dig into it, but, but we really don't know. Um, and and it's either one of two things. It's either a guy who showed up and everyone could tell he was a rich young ruler because he looked that way, or they knew exactly who he was and it wasn't preserved for us on purpose. And I tend to, to believe the, the second reason. Because uh, I, was, I was thinking about, now, now you can pick anyone you want today, Someone who's rich and powerful today, think of a real person. And I'm sure no matter who you're thinking about right now, I'm not going to mention any names because I, I think that would be too distracting. But no, no matter who you're thinking about, that comes with some mixed baggage. Like, like you, can't, you can't be, I mean, no one is liked by everyone. But, uh, you know, and so I, I think if, if we knew who this person was in history, we wouldn't identify with him. We'd be like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just so-and-so. But we're meant to identify with this man. We're meant to identify with this man who has a lot, and yet he wants eternal life. He's pretty obvious about it. He kneels before Jesus, and he says, good teacher, 
Well, that's only the first thing that's not said. And and he says, good teacher, and Jesus replies with a comment, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And now Jesus keeps talking, and so that might be why that particular point is not addressed. But but knowing myself, I'd be like, "Uh, hang on a minute, what did you just say, Jesus? I would, I would totally, but he want, this young man wants eternal life. He wants to be justified, uh, his life justified. So he kind of just glosses over that. He doesn't even respond to it. And, 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 and so this, this section is about what Jesus says, but it's, it's about what he doesn't say too. And about what the young man doesn't focus on. This this good teacher, but he does kind of catch on because the next time he just addresses him as teacher, and so he's like, well, I, I don't know what Jesus was saying there, but I'll just, I'll just drop the good. And we don't really know. It could be he was trying to butter Jesus up and Jesus was challenging that, but more likely, and, and what I believe is that Jesus, of course, was, was pointing to his divinity, was pointing to the entire point of this passage, and, and, uh, and so... And then Jesus says, well, let's do a little self-check here and mentions only six of the Ten Commandments. And, and so, again, it's the six that deal with our interactions with, with other people in the world, not the four that deal with God himself. And so he just kind of said, only God is good. How are you doing with your fellow mankind there? How, how have you related to them? And, and the young man makes a bold statement, again, that was not addressed by Jesus. And so this, this passage is all about what's not being said. And he says, all of these I've kept from my youth, with the implication that when he became 12 and had his bar mitzvah, meaning son of commandment, meaning, or a bat mitzvah would be daughter of commandment, b'nai mitzvah would be children of commandment, and I went to a B'nai Mitzvah. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so, but, but the point of that ceremony is, uh, you know, 12 seems kind of young for our culture to be an adult. And, and, and they probably weren't seen as, you know, equal respect in all ways. But, but at 12, they were considered to be culpable to the law of Moses. At 12, they were now considered fully... Uh, uh, they had to obey the law of Moses. And so they were a son or daughter or son and daughter of commandment. And so he's basically saying, yes, since I turned 12, I've kept it. I've done it. Not broken it once. Yeah, I mean, Jesus could have totally focused on that. And, and he doesn't. Instead, it says he looked on him and loved him. I, 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 I love that. And, and I told Danny uh, this morning, and I woke up this morning, and, and I was like, oh. And, and Danny and I and Stephen were all going to meet earlier this week and talk about the sermon and, and stuff, and, and it just didn't happen. Um, and so uh, I, I trusted Danny, and, and I was just thinking, about, oh, I hope Danny does for God so love the world. You know, and, and, uh, and he did. And, 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 and because, because that's, I think, it's not the point of the, of the passage, but it, it's like an integral part of the recipe. It's, 
It's, it's a flavor we can't do without. It's, it's God loves sinners. God loves the world. God loves this rich young ruler. God loves everyone, whether they choose him or not. And here we have someone who doesn't choose him. You know, normally you say bold statements like that, and then the person chooses them anyway. You know, I, I love the story of David where, where God is teaching uh, Samuel that he, he looks at the heart and, and, and not the outside, and, and brother after brother keeps getting rejected, and he's like, nope, not him, nope, not him, nope, not him. All his older brothers get rejected, and, and that's when God says, I look at the heart, not, not the outward shell. And you would think to really drive home that point when David walks in that he'd just be plug ugly. But it says he was ruddy and handsome. And I think God has a sense of humor. And, and, and he's like, yeah, I, I just told you I look at the heart, but yeah, David's pretty handsome too. And, and so God loves everyone, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they do. And Peter reminds us this in, in First Peter. Uh, in, sorry, let me look it up. In Second Peter three eight and nine, he's reminding them because of people who are scoffing, saying that God is slow in returning. He says, "But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day." The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patience toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that should all should reach repentance. So again and again, we're told that God loves the world. God wants everyone to find repentance. This is who God is, and, and he doesn't force us. Uh, C.S. Lewis likes to say that God is a gentleman. He's not going to force you into his kingdom. He invites you. He implores you. He calls you. He did the work so that you could come. The gift is waiting right there. All you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive your sins and be your Lord and Savior, and you can receive that gift. It's just waiting for you. And that's the real tragedy. When those who get to heaven before the judgment seat and they realize they could have had it, if this man, we don't know what happened afterwards, but if he got to the judgment seat and he never accepted Jesus, he's going to be in so much torment right then and there. He was that close. But he let his great wealth get in the way. And uh, it seems hard to believe that you would do that. I mean, he came to Jesus seeking eternal life. It, it wasn't like, like, you know, he was just like, oh, you know, Jesus asked me to follow him. He specifically wanted eternal life. And Jesus told him he lacked one thing. And it, it's hard for, for those of us who have accepted that to, to think, why, why did he do that? And, and maybe sometimes we've forgotten the journey that we were on. I know uh, I pretended to be a Christian for a long time. Uh, I saw my brother and sister get saved and baptized at a young age, and, and I went forward too, but I, I didn't understand. 
And uh, I think somewhere around middle school, I realized I had never truly asked Jesus to, to be my Lord and Savior, to forgive my sins. And, but I had been playing the game for quite some time, and so I wasn't ready to swallow my pride. And in fact, I, I didn't until I was a freshman in college. I mean, that's a lot of time, middle school to freshman in college, and I, I knew I wasn't a Christian anymore, but I was still pretending. I was putting myself, my pride, ahead of God. And I think a lot of us do that. Um, some people realize it right off the bat. You know, they did a statistic a while back, a Barna study, and, you know, the average person, I forget the exact number, forgive me, uh, has to hear the gospel so many, it's in the teens, times, before they, they save. But I've, I've met people that accept the gospel on the first shot. But I'm on the other end. Like, I grew up in the church. I pretended for a long time. I, I lost track of how many times I heard the gospel. So I'm, I'm really ruining the curve there. But, but thankfully, there's people that, that hear it for the first time and receive. And, and my question to us is, maybe you've, you've never done that. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to to forgive your sins and be your Lord and Savior. You need to do it today. No, no one knows if we have tomorrow. No one knows what ha is going to happen in the future. And, and so if you're not willing to do that today, if you know you haven't and you're not willing to, what's keeping you? What are you holding on to that's more important? Um, many of you know the story of the two missionaries who died in South America, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, and, and then later uh, Jim's wife and, and daughter go back to the same tribe that murdered these two men for sharing the gospel and share the gospel, and the, the tribe, a, a large portion of the tribe, converts. Well, uh, they, they found on the inside of Jim's Bible a quote and I, I forgive me, again, I don't know if he originated this quote, but it was written on the inside of his Bible. And it says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. And, and I, I just can't help thinking about this young man who has so much, and, and, uh, and he held on to it rather than Jesus. And so that's the terrible tragedy, but, but uh, wait, it gets worse. <laughs> um, he, he goes away, and Jesus takes this moment to talk to his disciples, and uh, he says how difficult it will be for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, at, at first you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I get that. It's, it's really tough, Yeah. And uh, then Jesus is like, this, this is not connecting with, with the disciples. And uh, uh, they were kind of amazed. Uh, and, so, and then he goes, children, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Now there's a lot going on there. And I, I know, you know I, like I said, I grew up in the church. My parents took me to church all the time. And, uh, and, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I remember from the pulpit, I, I don't remember who, 
telling this story that there used to be this little tunnel-like gate in Jerusalem that was just big enough if a camel crawled through on his knees, he could get through. And, and when the city was, was in trouble, they'd shut all the gates except for this one little easily defensible gate, and it was called the Eye of the Needle. Has anyone heard that? Yeah. Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. Absolute lie. Uh, and and, and it's, it's horrible. I don't know who started that, but it's a lie. There was never a gate like that. No camel in his right mind would crawl on its knees through a tunnel like that. And, and uh, I, I don't know what someone was thinking trying to make, uh, make this seem reasonable. Oh, a camel through the eye of the needle? Oh, it's possible. I'm like, I mean, the disciples clued in very quickly to what Jesus was saying, and they said, well, who can be saved? They're not rich, but they, they kind of added one and one together, and they're like, well, that's impossible. And so Jesus means an actual eye of a needle and a literal camel, and, and it's easier for that than for a rich person to get into heaven. And their response was, well, then who can be saved? And, and I, I made the title, Who Then Can Be Saved? And that's actually the King James, you know, they switched the word order a little bit, and it's just stuck in my head that way. And uh, again, another plug for you parents and grandparents and, and other uh, guardians that are bringing your children, keep it up. Exposing your children to the Word of God, it sinks in. Even if you're dense like me and you don't get saved till you're 19, it eventually sinks in. And, and it's a good thing to bring your children, and so keep it up. Keep, keep exposing your children to the Word of God. Keep bringing them to church. And so Jesus literally means something impossible. And the disciples rightly... And, and I love, you know, the first time he says it, they're just amazed. But the second time he says something, they're exceedingly astonished. You know, it's just like, what? We're doomed. No one can be saved. And they, they rightly understood. I, I think that was a divine gift from God himself for them. Well, who then can be saved? And, and really, that's kind of the first half of the main idea of this passage. And the answer is uh, what Jesus says. Um, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So, I don't know, uh, you know, I love that song, I can only imagine, you know, we... we we, we, we can only imagine what it'll be like in heaven, but if we can make requests in heaven, I'd kind of like to see that. I'd kind of like to see a camel go through the eye of the needle. How is God going to do that? <laughs> but, you know, chances are we won't even care by that point. Yeah, you know. And so, but, but backing up after the first time, uh, or the first thing that Jesus says, children... You know, it, 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 he doesn't usually address the disciples or those who are with him by children. And I think he is pointing back to what he just said previously in the passage that Pastor Stephen taught, and that, that faith must be accepted like a child, 100% wholeheartedly, without reservation. And, and, and this is the whole 
thing of what, what the rich young man is missing. He needs faith. He needs to trust God because he can't get there on his own. All these I have done since my youth? Jesus didn't even address that. He, he just said, you need to, to put God first in your life. And so at, at this point, we have this solution that, that it's God who saves, that it's God who makes the impossible possible. And, and we have to, I think we know the answer just intuitively, but we go back to what he said. The one thing that this rich young ruler lacked was that he sell everything, give to the poor, then he would have treasures in heaven, and then come follow Jesus. He could have been an, a disciple. He could have been among the 72. I, I, don't, I think he missed the boat on being an apostle. But, but he could have been like someone big in the early church. Come follow me. That's exactly what he says to the, everyone. And, and the question is, is, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Meaning, if it's prescriptive, does everyone who follows Jesus have to sell everything they own? I think it's pretty obvious what, which way we land on that, that option. Uh, we're all uh, got here in cars. <laughs> we're all wearing clothing and, and, you know, have phones and stuff. And so, but is it really just descriptive? Is it, is it really just something special for the rich young ruler? What is Jesus, why did he tell him that? He, he didn't tell anyone else, sell everything you have and then follow me. And yet, without being told, that's what the fishermen did. That's what the tax collector did. That's what all the apostles did. They left everything and followed him. And so it is prescriptive, in a way. We don't all have to sell everything, but I think... and. And really, I don't want to ruin a future sermon here because Jesus hasn't said it yet in Mark, but, but he's going to be challenged on what's the most important commandment in, in the Old Testament. And we know the answer is that uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he gives them a little bonus, uh, a second greatest commandment. They didn't ask for that, but, but he gives it to them anyway. And he says, and the second is like unto it, I like to say it uh, the King James way uh, because it's a really awkward Greek translation. And the King James makes it awkward in English. And, and, so, uh, and what Jesus is saying, I think a good modern way to say it in English would be, and the second is linked to it. Meaning, you can't have one without the other. And in fact, when you get to the end of the passage, he refers to the first and the second as one commandment. Saying it's a package deal. You can't love God and hate your brother. You can't love your brother and, and hate God. You've got to do both. And while the Bible doesn't strictly tell us this, I think we, we can make a safe assumption that this rich young man, his possessions, his riches, were, were first in his life. Because he wasn't willing to give them up. He walked away. And really, for all of us that come to God, 
It's, it's a matter of restoring the right relationship that we should have had before sin entered the world. And before sin entered the world, God was God and we were not. But when sin entered the world, we put ourselves as God. You know, you look at all kinds of selfishness and sin and everything else, and it's really just putting something in the place where God belongs. And it usually involves ourself. The stuff that we have, the pride that we have, the other things that keep us, uh, keep God from being in his rightful place. And Jesus saw that young man's heart, and he asked him, you need to, to put what's first in your heart out of your heart, and then come follow me, might be another way that, that he could have said it to him. And so it, it is prescriptive. Everyone who wishes to follow Christ must do that. Uh, in, in Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself and then take up his cross daily and then follow me. Amen. I, I, there's an old song. Um, I'd be surprised if, if any of y'all heard it. It's from a, uh, like an a unknown musical about the book of Acts called Upside Down. And there's a song in there that starts out, You don't have a Savior if you won't have a Lord. And that's, that's powerful. And, and it rubs us the wrong way, but when we really think about it, it's true. If we're not willing to make Jesus the Lord of our life, then, then can we really call Him Savior? Or would we be more honest like this rich young man and just walk away very sad? And so the point of this sermon is that we listen up that we see and that we put faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point of Mark. Mark didn't beat around the bush. It's in chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And uh, again, I'm going to ruin a future sermon. Uh, so I might not get asked to preach in a while. Uh, but uh, Mark ends really awkwardly. Like, like when you look at how it ends, if, if you take out the ending that, that most early manuscripts don't have, it ends really awkwardly. And, and so I think Mark, when he wrote his gospel, in the back of his mind, he never says it once, but he's, the entire time he's writing Mark, Mark is like basically saying, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, and this is the part he doesn't say, and what are you going to do about it? That's Mark's purpose. That's what he wants. He wants us all to, to see who Jesus is, to, to understand who he is, and realize that we need him. We need to put faith in him. And after we've done that, we finally uh, we have blessing. And, and Peter, it's interesting, I, I, I tried to dig into the Greek a little bit and it, it didn't kind of unpack this uh, more. Uh, the, the English was translated well. But in verse 28, Peter began to say to him, and Mark could have easily said, and Peter said. But Mark says, and Peter began to say, which is kind of weird. And, and I feel like Peter was, was kind of, he was, I mean, he just floored his disciples twice. They went from, 
amazed to exceedingly astonished. And now Peter's like saying either, either one or two things. He's trying to justify himself. Maybe, that's a, maybe it's both. Or he's like, what are we doing? Are, do we have a shot? Are we going to make it? Um, if, if it's really that hard... And then Jesus says, Truly I say to you, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold. Uh, and then he repeats it, Now in this time and eternal life in the time to come. It's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. And I, I keep thinking about Jim Elliott's quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can't hold on to our life. Studies show that one out of every one person dies. <laughs> we can't hold on to this. And why should we? Jesus has provided a way. And we need to trust him. And so... As I look at the application for today, the lesson that we're supposed to learn from the rich young ruler, I mean, it, it's, it's obvious. It's, it's we need Jesus Christ. We need salvation in him. And nothing this world has to offer compares to it. Amen. And so if, if you've never done that today, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you and be your Lord and Savior, made him first in your life, I implore you to do that today. Yeah. And, and if you're not willing, if you were stubborn like me, you're in good company for one. But, but don't wait. And, and I ask, what is holding you back? Ask God, why won't I do it? Ask yourself, why won't you do it? What is holding you back from making that decision today? Right now, after the sermon, we're going to have an altar call, and you can come speak to me, or you can just pray at the altar. What's keeping you? At least be aware of, of what you're holding on to, or what you think is more important than Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've done that, but you've never made it public. You've never told the church, yeah, I put faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, He's my Lord and Savior. Yeah, I'm following Him. Make that public. Don't keep that to yourself. The only thing you're, you, you'll be hurting is yourself. You, you won't grow very, very, you won't become very mature until you make that public, until you, you join the family of God publicly. You may have done that in your heart, and that's what matters. That's what saves you. But you need to tell us. You need to tell your brothers and sisters. But for those of us that have made that, I'm, I'm sad to say that there are times that I've let the stuff of this world crowd out Jesus, even though he's my Lord and Savior. And, and Jesus taught in the parable of the soils that the, you know, the third soil was just that. They had faith in Jesus, but they let the, the things of this world choke out their fruitfulness. And that's something that we can, we can choose to do as his children. We can live like our old self, and, and, and we, we become fruitless. We stop producing fruit that, that honors and glorifies God, our Savior. If you've done that today, it's never too late to, 
to repent. And though you don't need to repent for salvation, you do need to repent of anything that you've let choke out your fruitfulness, that you've let take the place of God in your life. And, and I've had times uh, that it's, it's gotten so bad, I, you know, I, I don't know if I would call it an addiction, but I used to, I used to dream about like going back in time so that I could start it even sooner. And I won't say what it is because I think that'll distract from the point I'm trying to make and a lot of you won't understand it anyway. Uh, that sounded really arrogant, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, all right. It was a video game. And now some of you are saying, well, that's just stupid. But that's what it was. That's what I was addicted to. And I used to dream about going back in time so I could start it even sooner in my life and be even more addicted to it. That's how big the monkey was on my back. And I didn't understand, but God said I had to give it up. And I gave it up. And it wasn't until I gave it up that I understand what a hold it had on my life. I thought I was fine. And I, I couldn't even see how messed up I was. So if you've got sin in your life, and God's speaking to you about it, come and speak to me, or, or just pray at the altar, or just give it up, and, and tell a friend. When a monkey's got a hold of your life that bad, tell someone about it. Let them lift you up. Let them keep you accountable. Let them pray for you. I went to my friend, and you had to log in in this game, and I told him about it. And I said, I know how to recover passwords. That's not difficult. I need you to type in half the password, and then I'll type in the other half, and, and then neither one of us could ever log into that game again. And so I turned around, and he typed in his half, and then he turned around, and I typed in my half, and I, I tell you, that's, that saved me. There were days, years down the road, where I was like, oh, I wonder what that game's up to nowadays. And I logged in, and it's still around. But I couldn't get to my old account. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of pointless. So, so I, I want to encourage you, just do what it takes. Nothing outweighs Jesus. Do whatever it takes. And, and that's why, you know, Jesus just got done telling us, like, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And he's not, you know, he's not advocating self-mutilation. He's saying, do what it takes to get that monkey off your back, to get the sin out of your life, and to make me first. Because... That's the only way we'll find joy and peace. And once I had done that, the peace returned. The joy returned. And, and, and I, I couldn't believe the yoke of slavery I had put myself under again. But I couldn't see it until I, I was faithful to Jesus. And then he, he ends with an even more enigmatic enigmatic statement the first will be last and the last will be first and and uh, the dead in Christ will will rise first and and uh, uh, I you know he's he's just saying it 
the, the order of life, the order of what you think is right, is wrong. It's God's order. It's God's priority. It's God's way. In the parable of the wedding feast, in the Luke account, uh, at, at the very end, there's a guy that snuck into the wedding feast without wedding clothes, and then he gets caught and thrown out. And it's not the main point of the, of the parable, but, but, but you know, Jesus is just saying, you got to come to God on God's terms. We don't get to decide. Because if we got to decide, I'd be like, okay, you be okay with my sin. That's what I would decide, and that's frankly what we would all decide. And that's just not going to work. God created us. God redeemed us through His Son. He doubly owns us. He gets to decide. So I implore you, come to Christ today, whatever it is you're dealing with, wherever. And finally... Maybe you have a friend or a family member, a coworker, or someone you know that, that has that roadblock. Start having conversations. Start asking these questions of, do, do you believe Jesus? Is, is there anything standing between you and, and asking him to be your Lord and Savior and forgive your sins? Find out what their roadblocks are. Find out what's keeping them back. And then you can have conversations and you you usually can't do this with a stranger you got to have a relationship to ask these kind of questions in a meaningful way that that they're, they're going to answer truthfully but that i think is the final step when when hopefully someone who knew the rich young ruler some christian that once the church was established later came across his path again and said hey i i remember you I remember you decided that your wealth was more important than having eternal life. Do you still feel that way? Hopefully someone came across this path and started asking him good questions like that. We need to do the same. I'm going to pray and then Danny's going to come forward and, and if you need to come talk to me or, or pray here at the altar, 